0: I'm excited to, to open God's Word with you today, but I'm um, also very thankful for the godly men over the past few weeks who have uh, been here to open God's Word with you as well, and, uh, and to Pastor Kyle, particularly as he began this new series for us a couple of weeks ago Uh, in Psalm 23. And and in that, I I really hope that we see how much of a blessing it is for us as a church family to belong to really a bigger family of churches called the Great Commission Collective. And uh, just the the blessing that it is to be able to call other guys, invite other guys to come into our church and and know that when they come here, they're going to open God's word and feed us on God's word. And um, you have no idea what a blessing that is to me. I hope that is a blessing to you. I hope you've been blessed uh, by their ministry over the course of this summer as well. And um, it's good for our family to be back. We had a great time together over the summer. Uh, very, very thankful for the grace of rest and uh, also thankful uh, for the blessing that it is to come back and uh, to open God's word with you right now. So let's do that. Grab your Bible, if you would, and open up with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Again, uh, Pastor Kyle began this three-week mini-series a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 23 around the theme of rest, rest, and um, I don't know about you, but I find that the older I get, um, the more that I love to rest, right? Anybody else know what I'm talking about, right? And yeah, here, here, and, uh, and being at a stage in, of life right now where all three of our kids are almost teenagers, one is a teenager, two are knocking on that door pretty hard, and uh, can I just admit, I have never loved rest as much as I do right now. Like, it is fantastic, and, and I love doing things with our kids. Our kids are very active, and it's always fun playing hockey, playing basketball, shooting baskets, throwing around a football, playing a game, whatever. It's always fun doing that, um, but can I just say, I love when those things are done, too, because, because then I get to rest. Like, we play hard, we work hard, and then we get to enjoy the rest that comes afterwards. And in Psalm 23, David is talking about rest, But it's not just physical rest. It's a rest, you'll see, that is only found in God. In fact, the idea of rest comes from Psalm 23 in verse 2. Take a look at your Bible. Uh, David says in verse 2: He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. In the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, uh, the still waters in verse 2 are literally waters of rest. And the main idea, the stream you could say that's flowing through Psalm 23 is this thought that God is the one who gives us everything that we need so that we can rest in him. Now, before we go any further, I wanna make sure that we're all kind of working from the same understanding. So I wanna give you a very simple definition of what we mean when we're talking about rest. So as you come to Psalm 23 and you open your Bible and and you begin to observe what the text is saying in front of you, like like what, what does this say? And then you begin to interpret what the text says. What does this mean? And then by God's grace, you begin to apply that text to your life. What do we mean when we're talking about rest as it relates here to Psalm 23. Uh, Take a look at this simple definition up on the screen for you. Uh, Rest is a God-given peace and quietness of the soul, no matter the circumstances of my life. Rest is a God-given peace and quietness of the soul, no matter the circumstances of my life. So notice this first of all, uh, that rest, this rest, is God-given. So the kind of rest that Psalm 23 is talking about can only come from God. There's nothing else in this life, there's nothing else in this world that is going to give you the Psalm 23 kind of rest. You won't find it on a vacation. You won't find it in a week at the cottage. You won't find it in a better job. You won't find it in a better circumstance or in your next purchase or in better health. You will not find this kind of rest in those things. This kind of rest comes only from God which explains why this kind of rest can give us what it does. Notice next, rest is a God-given peace and quietness of the soul. In other words, this is not a superficial peace. This is a supernatural peace. This is the peace that passes all understanding that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, like Paul says in Philippians 4. This is a quietness of the soul. quietness of the soul that goes to the very core of who we are, that even if a situation that you're in goes completely sideways in ways that you never could have predicted, you can still have the peace of God. Now think about this, this rest is a God-given peace and quietness of the soul, no matter the circumstances of my life. So let's do a a very quick and practical exercise right here at the beginning of this message as we dive in to Psalm 23, and we're only going to look at verse 4 today. So let's do this quick and practical exercise right at the start. What are the one or maybe two or three things in your life right now, and you know with absolute certainty that you know, the peace, you know you need the peace and the quietness of the soul that only God can give? Like what is it that's going on in your life right now that has the potential to rob you of resting in God? What are those things that are going on in your life right now? Because the thing is, you come to something like Psalm 23, which is a very popular psalm. Many of us are familiar with it. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Kyle took us through the first three verses. And and you read through those first three verses, and David just sets the stage by identifying and describing these truly soul-satisfying things, these really good things. So he says, look, Psalm 23, verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That'll preach right? Like we could spend a whole series just on that alone. That's beautiful. And then verse two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The imagery there is just amazing. Verse three, he says, he restores my soul. Yes, Lord, we want that, right? We need that. Lord, restore my soul. Begin with me. Lord, do this work in my life. Verse three, he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so you read through these first few verses in Psalm 23, where David just kind of sets the table, and yet you and I sometimes come to this psalm, and we think to ourselves, wait a second, I feel right now like I don't have the green pastures. It's more like I got rocks and dirt. And maybe you're coming to Psalm 23 this morning, and, and you're like, you know what, I don't feel like I have the still waters. It feels more like crashing waves. And it could be that those waves are forming something like a tsunami of fear within your life right now, and it might even be that that fear is preventing you from seeing that even in the midst of that fear, you can still have rest. You can still rest in God. So think about this. What's the one or the two or the three things that are going on in your life right now that are potentially robbing you of resting in God? title of today's message is Rest in His Protection. Rest in His Protection. We're looking again uh, today only at verse 4 of Psalm 23. Take a look with me in your Bible. Again at verse 4, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Psalm 23, verse 4, maybe one of, maybe the most popular verse in the most popular psalm in all of the Bible. And one of the things that I love about Psalm 23 in general is that for as much as Psalm 23 is a comfort for the dying, it is first and foremost a reminder of God's compassion for the living. This whole psalm, The song that is meant to be sung as the people of God gather together is just as much about God walking close to you and me as it is about you and me keeping close to God. And while we don't really know the specific context of why David wrote Psalm 23 at the time that he did, what we do know is that just like us, David experienced all of the highs and lows that Psalm 23 describes. He knew what it was to walk through the green pastures and beside the still waters, and yet at the very same time, he also knew what it was to walk down through the valley of the shadow of death. In verse 4, David is declaring some critically important elements that we need to acknowledge as we walk through our own valleys. Because the reality is we, we all walk through a valley at one time or another, right? Like We, we all do. We know that to be true. And, and you could be here this morning, you're in your own valley right now. We've said it before that um, if you're not in a valley right now, then, then maybe you've just come out of one or you're about to go into one relatively soon. Like we all go through valleys, we all experience different valleys of different kinds, different shapes, different sizes, they all look very different. And you may be here this morning, and and if you're in a valley of despair or grief or confusion or loneliness or a health crisis or depression, or maybe your valley is filled with questions about your faith, you have concerns about who God is, you have questions that don't have answers... Like Whatever your valley is, we all go through them. And and I have to think, even in a group this size right now, that there are some of us here in this room right now, and we're in a valley. Valley might look different for you than it does for the person sitting beside you, but we're in a valley of some kind. And and so, as we make our way into Psalm 23 and verse 4 today, I, I just want to say right at the very beginning that if you're in that valley right now, let me encourage you to press into God and into his word right here and hear what God is saying to us. And if you're here this morning and you're not in a valley right now, and and maybe you're up on the top of the mountain, maybe, maybe things are just level ground for you right now, first of all, praise the Lord for that. But if you're not in that valley right now, let me encourage you to do the very same thing. Press into God, press into his word right now, right here, and ask the Lord to plant these truths of Psalm 23 and verse 4 so deeply into your heart that when you do go down into that valley, you're going to see the fruit that only God can grow. So here they are, five elements that we all have to acknowledge when we walk through the valley. Here's the first, five elements. Number one, the problem problem. This is the first element that we all need to acknowledge as we walk through a valley, that there's a problem. These two words at the beginning of verse four are crucial. David says, even though. Those two words tell us that at certain points for David, his life had not gone the way that he expected it to go. He wasn't anticipating this valley He didn't want this valley. He's not even claiming really to understand this valley that he's in. And yet, when he says, even though there's an acknowledgement on some level that this valley is part of God's good plan for this particular season of his life. So think about this for a minute. In the verse right before, in verse 3, he's talking about green grass and clean water. And there's no problem at all seeing that the Lord is our shepherd when things are green and clean, right? Very environmentally friendly psalm. Things are green and clean, and and there's no problem seeing that the Lord is our shepherd when life is like that. But then something happens, and everything changes. And, And look at Psalm 23 again. He starts verse one. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Very soul-satisfying things. And then he gets to verse four. And aren't you glad verse four does not say, but then something happened. Like things changed dramatically. And when it did, I gave up on God because I couldn't see the green grass and I couldn't see the clean water anymore. So I just picked up, turned around and walked away. Obviously, it doesn't say that. Aren't you glad it doesn't say that? And yet, my concern is that sometimes we get a lot closer to that response than we might actually realize. I read a story just a few weeks ago of a well-known Christian leader. He's a worship leader for Hillsong Church and written a number of uh, pretty popular worship songs that many of us might be familiar with. And he's influenced many people over the past number of years and He went on social media just a couple of weeks ago to uh, very publicly abandon his faith in Christ. We don't know all the reasons um, or all the factors that go into a decision like that, but part of the reason as he articulated it very publicly on social media is, is because of this, because of verse four. Too many dark valleys. Too many questions about God. Too many questions about what verse 4 says, that where is God when I see evil in the valley? Like, I look around me, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the valley, things aren't going the way that I planned for them to go, and I don't know what to do, I don't know how to get out of this, but I look around, and all I see is chaos, all I see is destruction, all I see is sin, all I see is the consequences of sin, the brokenness all around me. So where is God when all I see is the evil in the valley? And can I just take this opportunity right now to point us all back to the answer to that question which comes in Psalm 23 and verse one where David says, God is still there. He's still in the valley even if all you see in the valley is the evil all around you. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. Just think for a minute about this journey that David goes on from Psalm 23 verse one to Psalm 23 verse four. And think about this, just because you go from green pastures to dark valleys in your life doesn't mean that the Lord has left you. Just because the landscape changes within your life in ways that you didn't expect and you didn't see coming does not mean that God no longer loves you. He loves you. He is walking with you. He is providing for you, perhaps in ways that you cannot see and you do not know, and you may never know this side of heaven, but he loves you, and he's walking with you every step of the way, and so you can walk through that valley knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt that the Lord is your shepherd. think of the dark valleys that Job walked through. When you read Job's story, there were times where it just looks like he couldn't see God no matter where he looked. Job 23, verses eight and nine. This is Job lamenting because he's having such a hard time finding God in the darkness of the valley. Job says this, chapter 23, verse eight. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Just wonder if maybe there's somebody in the room right now and those two verses describe your life at this point. That You're going through something, you're walking through a valley and, and you're looking up in front of you and you're like, God, where are you? Because God, I need you. I, I need you to do something. I need you to show yourself to me. I need to see you in the midst of this and, and you look up in front of you but for as hard as you look, you just can't see him. And so because you can't see him up here, you, you start to look behind you and, and God, where are you? Are you here? God, I need to see you. God, show me something. Show me that you're here and, and for all the ways that you try and look behind you, you just can't see him. And so then you, you look off to your left and, and God, are you over here? God, I need something. God, just, just show me anything to help me know that you're here. And, and you look over there and, and you can't find him anywhere and so you've only got one option left. And you walk over here and, and you look to the right and, and you're like, God, please. like I've got nothing left. God, I need to know that you're here. God, please show me that you're here. God, I don't know what to do. And you look over here and as, for as hard as you look, you just can't see God. I wonder if somebody here right now, that's what you're going through. That's what you're feeling. And and for those of us who maybe are not, I just want to encourage you, try and feel Job's pain when he says this. Try and feel, try and understand what he's going through. He's saying, I'm looking all around me and it doesn't matter where I go, it doesn't matter where I look, I just can't see God in any of this. But then, see what he says next in the very Next verse, verse 10, Job 23, verse 10. Right after he said all of that, Job says this, but he, God, knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Now, you know what that teaches us? It teaches us two primary things. The first thing it teaches us is that God knows where I am. God knows where you are. There is no valley that is too deep that God does not know exactly where you are. And not only does God know where you are, but the second lesson is that God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing when you're down in that valley, when, when you're looking all around and you can't seem to see God anywhere. He knows what he's doing and you say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that God knows exactly what I'm going through and he knows exactly what he's doing in the midst of my circumstance? I know that because God says here that when I come out on the other side of this, I shall come out as gold, that if I stay close to God, if I trust in God, if I trust that God is good, if I trust that his ways are good, if I trust in him and stay close to him, then I can have the assurance that as he brings me out of this, I will come out of this as gold. Listen, loved ones, we need a theology that is strong enough, not just to support us in the green pastures, but is also strong enough to sustain us in the dark valley. Psalm 23 is one of only 150 psalms, many of which are people crying out to God in the midst of extremely difficult valleys. They're relentlessly reaching out to God. And the key in all of those psalms is that they never let go of God. And why do they never let go of God? They never let go of God because they have the assurance in their heart that they belong to the God who will never let go of them. We're gonna face problems. We know that. We're gonna walk through valleys. There's there's gonna be times where God will lead us through seasons of even though. But somewhere beneath the surface of the problem, there has to be this anchoring belief that God is just as loving and gracious and good at the bottom of the valley as he is at the top of the mountain. It's the belief that the path of righteousness, sometimes from, from verse three, leads us straight through the valley in verse four. That leads us then to the second element that we need to acknowledge in the valleys. Element number two, uh, the pain. So not only do we acknowledge the problem, but we also acknowledge the pain. Notice what David says next in verse four. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, it's starting to get pretty real here, right? Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The thing is, um, David knew what it was to experience a lot of uh, very high mountaintops in his relationship with God. The greatest of which was being described as a man after God's own heart. But David also knew very, um, in a very real way what it was to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Like just consider for a minute some of the things that uh, David had been through in his life. He spent a solid chunk of his life running from King Saul, like running for his life because Saul had one mission. He wanted to bury David. The Philistines chased after David for the very same purpose. They wanted him dead. Then the Philistines ended up killing David's best friend, Jonathan. Later, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and the baby that's born to David and Bathsheba dies. David grieves very deeply over the death of that baby. After that, David's favored son, Absalom, betrays him, turns his back on David, and tries to take David's throne as the king to the point where Absalom chases him down. David, again, is literally on the run for his life. Eventually, Absalom was killed, and David mourns deeply again over the death of another son this is just a few examples david saw death's shadow all around him but it's not just actual physical death that david is talking about here he's he's talking about that wide spectrum of things that you and i go through that are really hard you know what i'm talking about he's he's talking about like the despair the depression the anxiety the the worry the fear the gloom the anguish the grief, I mean, it covers everything, but, but notice how he describes it here in verse four. He calls it the shadow of death. Here's the thing, a shadow can look frightening, right? Remember when you were a kid and mom and dad tucked you into bed at night, they closed the door, turned off the light, the room got super dark, and, but maybe you had a nightlight. Right? And the nightlight would, would throw a little bit of light out into the room and it would cast a shadow onto the wall. And so anything that, anytime anything moved in the room, the shadow would move with it. And as a little kid, that kind of freaks you out, right? You see these moving shadows. But, but think about it. It's not the shadow that's going to hurt you. It's the monster under the bed that's going to get you, right? <laughs> Sorry, parents, for all your kids who are in the room right now trusting that you'll find your sufficiency in Jesus when you go to bed tonight. But, but just think about it, right? It's, it's not the shadow that's gonna hurt you because the shadow has no power. There's no substance in the shadow. There's no power in the shadow. And David is saying here, listen, I'm walking through this valley right now and this valley hurts. This valley is hard and this valley is full of despair and uncertainty and confusion and questions and longing and, and maybe even death, like actual death. I wonder, maybe you could be here this morning and that's the valley that you're walking through right now. Like, like you've got this disease that's eating away at your body. You've got this health crisis that has changed your life in ways that you can't change back. And, and maybe that's the valley that you're walking through right now and it's causing you fear. It's causing you worry and anxiety. And, but listen to what David is saying here. Part of what he's saying is that this valley that I'm in cannot hurt me. This valley cannot harm me because all this valley has is the power of a shadow. In much the same way, if you are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, death cannot hurt you. Death cannot harm you because as one commentator put it, in his death and resurrection, Jesus has removed the substance of death so that only the shadow remains. In other words, as fearful as we might be about physical death, physical death cannot and it will not destroy you. If anything, if you belong to Jesus Christ through faith in him, physical death will only serve to usher you into real life. Which means then that if Jesus has removed the power of death, then he has also removed the power of every other valley that we walk through. Which leads us then to this observation. So follow along with me here. One of the most important words in this psalm, for sure the most important word in this verse, is the word through. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So so he's still walking. Okay, don't miss that. That's a really important detail. David is still walking. Even though things aren't going the way that he expected them to go or the way he wants them to go, he's still walking. He's still staying close to God. And he says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That one word, through, indicates that God's protection over us is so effective and so complete that he will lead us through the valley. Our responsibility is to keep walking with him. So no matter how deep, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult your valley might be, his grace, his care, and his provision will always be enough to lead us through. See, the good news here is that the one who trusts in the Lord to be your shepherd will never get stuck in the valley. Let me, um, let me just pause here and be abundantly clear. Knowing this shepherd does not make the valley disappear. Okay, we clear? Knowing this shepherd does not mean that we will never go through valleys again but it does mean that the lingering shadow of darkness and death is not the end for the one who knows that the Lord is their shepherd because your shepherd will lead you through. You're not gonna get stuck in that valley. See, this is teaching us one foundational truth in our pain. It's teaching us that that we can walk through the most difficult experiences of our lives and know with total confidence that no matter what darkness surrounds me, and no matter what danger awaits me, and no matter what disappointment engulfs me, I can know that the Lord is my shepherd and he will never leave me. Which is precisely why David can say this next. I will fear no evil. That leads us to the third element that we need to acknowledge here. Here it is, number three, the persuasion. So we acknowledge the problem and the pain, and now number three, the persuasion. I don't know if, um, if you can see this here in verse 4, maybe within the, the bigger context of Psalm 23, but it almost kind of feels like um, David's at the point now where he's just kind of preaching himself out of the valley. It's almost like he's, he's been out, down at the bottom and, and he's starting to walk up the backside of this valley and he says here, I will fear no evil. And, and sometimes it doesn't always come out like that for us, does it? Because sometimes the the valley is so deep and it's so dark and and it's so suffocating sometimes that, that sometimes that statement is just like, I will fear no evil. It's a statement of confidence. It's a statement of conviction. It's a statement of persuasion. In other words, as I walk through this valley, I have to be persuaded in my mind and in my heart that I belong to the God who owns the valley. That as I walk through this valley, I have to be persuaded that I belong to the God who is sovereign over the valley. I have to be persuaded that I belong to the God who is good despite the valley. I have to be persuaded that I belong to the God who can bring some good out of the valley. And so because those things are true, I will not fear any evil that I happen to encounter when I'm in the valley. I don't know about you, but I just love it. I love it when God includes sentences like that in his word. I will fear no evil. Because sentences like that acknowledge that there are circumstances in our lives that make us afraid, they make us worried, they they make us full of fear. And God knows. (laughs) Do you know that? God knows where you are right now, He knows where you are in that valley. If you, um, if you take a minute and Google a list of scenarios that make people most afraid, much like I did this week, um, you'll find that there are a number of things that make people in our world today very, very afraid. And uh, among the lists that I came across, some of the most common things that people fear right now, uh, at the very top of most of those lists was corrupt government officials. Kind of indicates the day that we're in, doesn't it? All the more reason for us to pray earnestly for our election this coming fall. Uh, Some of the things that make people most afraid, uh, pollution, not having enough money to cover the bills, things that make people most afraid, global warming, North Korea, terrorism, identity theft, and of course, no surprise here, many people are still afraid of death, afraid of their own death, afraid of the death of someone that they love and See, the thing is, you could, you could go home and Google that and, and those lists are just gonna go on and, on and on and on and on and on and on, right? Like so many things in this world that make us so afraid so often and I suppose in some way you could call those things kind of like our modern day valleys. In fact, for a Psalm 23 shepherd in ancient Israel, a valley was not a safe place to be. You didn't wanna find yourself in a valley because the valley was where all the wild animals roamed in the darkness, and they could just kind of pop out of anywhere, a place that you didn't even see, and they would just pounce on you. You had no chance at all. That's what happens in the valley, and, and a person would never know where the ground would suddenly become uneven or dangerous, and you could fall, you could twist an ankle, you could break a limb. Anything could happen. The valley was a dangerous place to be, and so we go through this life, and we look at those lists on Google, and, and we look at our own life that we live in. We could add many of our own fears to those lists, Fear of the unknown, fear of the uncertain, fear of losing the good things that we have, fear of discovering the difficult things that we don't want. The point is this, the valley is not safe. And the valley is not fun. And I don't think there'd be many of us across the room right now who would say that we want to go down into the valley. But listen to this, loved ones, because this is so important. Sometimes the only way for you to get to where God wants you to be is to go through the valley. Because it's when you're in the valley that you begin to learn the power of this statement I will fear no evil. Why? Why, David? Like ask the the text that question Why, David? Why can you fear no evil? Walking down through the valley. And as you're seeing all of the chaos and the destruction and, and the consequences of sin all around you and you're just wishing for a different life, wishing for a different outcome, why is it, David, that you can walk through that valley and you can say, I will fear no evil. He can say, I will fear no evil because he is persuaded that the Lord is his shepherd and the Lord who is his shepherd walks with him through that valley. I just want to encourage you today that when the valley seems dark and when the valley seems dangerous and when the valley seems difficult, remember who made the valley. Remember who walks with you through the valley. And remember that by his good design, it's no mistake that you're in the valley when you are. Because when you remember those realities, then this statement of confidence and conviction, this statement of persuasion becomes your reality too. I will fear no evil. Listen to this, Psalm 118, verses six and seven. Psalmist says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't that an awesome question? Like, God is on my side, so what can man do to me? He goes on and says, The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Psalm 56, verse 3. This one has become one of my best friends in the Bible over the past year. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Just think about that for a minute. God, I'm crying out to you right now because I'm afraid. I'm in the circumstance that I can't control, I can't fix. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I will trust that your plan is good. I will trust that your way is good. And more than any of that, I will trust that you are good. And so because that is true, I will fear no evil. Five elements we need to acknowledge as we walk through the valley. Here's number four, the promise. The promise. Look again at the text, verse 4. David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. How many are glad for that? For you are with me. That's the promise, okay? That's the promise. That's the hook that we hang our hat on. That God is with us in the valley. What's interesting here is that this phrase, for you are with me, uh, this is literally at the center of this psalm. So there are 26 Hebrew words in Psalm 23 that come before that phrase. And then there are 26 Hebrew words in Psalm 23 that come after that phrase. And that, at the very middle, is that phrase, for you are with me. And the whole point of this Psalm 23 is that the only enduring rest that we as sheep have, we will find in knowing that the shepherd is with us. That 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 is his enduring promise to us. Now, contrast that, if you would, uh, with what Jesus says in John chapter 10. So John chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Jesus is teaching the disciples that he is the good shepherd and he's comparing a good shepherd to a bad shepherd. And Jesus says this in John chapter 10. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He, meaning the bad shepherd, flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See, the problem here is that a false shepherd will never do what only the real shepherd can do because a false shepherd doesn't care for the sheep. So when difficulty comes, a false shepherd takes care only of himself and doesn't even think about the sheep. See, if you and I are walking through a valley and we are depending on the false shepherd of materialism or consumerism or comfort just to lead us through that valley, what's going to happen when there's nothing left for us to consume that will satisfy our soul? Or if we're depending on the false shepherd of entertainment or whatever it may be within our life, what's gonna happen when all of the entertainment in the world doesn't make the valley go away? See, the problem that we're up against is that we have countless false shepherds all around us that are vying for our attention, that are trying to deceive us into believing that they can give us what our soul truly wants, what our soul truly needs. But the problem is they can't. All of those false shepherds always overpromise and they under And when the hard times roll, every one of those false shepherds will scatter. Every one of those false shepherds will disappear. When the hard times roll, every one of those false shepherds will leave you in the very same space every single time. It will leave you at the bottom of the valley all by yourself. And so David now is using Psalm 23 to teach us that there is only one real shepherd. And he is so strong and so loving and so powerful that no matter what valley we happen to walk through, we can know that he is always with me. See, listen very carefully, friends. Jesus is not only the great shepherd who has saved your soul, he is the great shepherd who walks with you through every single valley. And the most decisive factor in your ability to walk through any valley is the assurance that Jesus goes with you every single step of the way. Like, think about that for a minute. Through the course of every single one of our lives, we're all gonna go through multiple valleys. Like, and those valleys are gonna look different. Some are gonna be big, some are gonna be small, some are gonna be really, really hard. We're gonna walk through a bunch of different valleys through the course of our life. But when you think about it, the commitment of Jesus is that he is there to walk with you through every single valley. And he's strong enough, and he's powerful enough, and he is loving enough that he will never leave you in the bottom of the valley all by yourself so that when the hard times roll, Jesus will not scatter. When the hard times roll, Jesus will not flee. When the hard times roll, Jesus will not leave you standing there by yourself, but instead, when the hard times roll, Jesus is gonna roll right with you. He's gonna walk with you every single step of the way. I think of that old hymn that I've mentioned a few times before, one of my favorites, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The song goes on and says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. All of these false shepherds that we put our hope and trust in, all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That leads then to the final element that we all need to acknowledge as we walk through the valley. Number five, the protection. Notice how David ends verse four. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rest in his protection. The rod and staff were instruments that a shepherd would use to lead his sheep. Um, The rod was often thought of as something of a weapon that uh, would fight away all the wolves that tried to attack the sheep while they were in the valley. And the staff was a gentler instrument the shepherd shepherd would use to guide and direct the sheep through the valley which when you think about it, that paints a pretty amazing picture for us, doesn't it? Because in going through our own valleys, Jesus is the one who's gonna fight for you. That as you're walking through that valley, your shepherd carries a rod and a staff and Jesus is the one who's going to fight for you in that valley. Don't you know this to be true? Like, isn't this our experience where the valleys are one of those places where we feel most prone to being attacked? Right? Our, our defenses are down. We're not sure what's going on. And it's there, when you're in that valley, when you feel most prone to being attacked, that Jesus promises that He is going to fight for you. Now let's let's be very clear that um, there are no friendly animals at the bottom of the valley. Okay, that's that's not the place to find a cute and cuddly, right? That's when you're at your weakest, it's when it feels like the enemy can be relentless, right? It's at the bottom of that valley. And it's there in that valley against an enemy that we don't always see very clearly that Jesus will protect you from whatever lies the enemy wants to tell you. And so while our shepherd uses the rod to protect, he also uses the staff to guide. Listen, loved ones, listen. Jesus knows everything that there is to know about your valley, and he will guide you through it. Jesus knows how long you've been in the valley. He knows how long you're going to be in the valley. He knows how big the valley is. He knows every dip in the valley, every curve in the valley, every up in the valley, every down in the valley, every danger in the valley, every snare in the valley. He knows the things that make you afraid when you are in the valley. And his promise to you is that he will guide you through that valley. And we see here that that he uses the rod and the staff for one greater purpose. See what David says in verse 4? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Hebrew word for comfort there is not just sympathy for the valley. It actually means real-time encouragement for a specific difficulty that we're going through. That is awesome, right? Like you can be going through your valley, I can be going through my valley, totally different valleys, same Jesus who walks with us and he's got enough for both of us. That's pretty amazing. And those two things... Those two ways that Jesus works for you are meant to remind you of the goodness and the grace and the power of Jesus in your suffering. But the rod and the staff, those two things, they're also there to remind you of who Jesus is to you and who you are to Jesus. That you are loved by him. That he's gonna use the rod and the staff to comfort you as you walk through the valley, to remind you that anything good that comes out of the valley will come only because the work of Jesus in your life brought it about. Listen, friend, I don't know what valley you're walking through right now and I don't know how much longer you're gonna be there. Maybe you're on the upside of it right now and you're just on your way out, but I want you to be encouraged by the reality that God has some good that will come out of the valley. Those two truths, Jesus fights for us in the valley and Jesus guides us through the valley, those two truths, hand in hand, are meant to bring comfort to our souls that no other shepherd can give us. And that's why, right there, that's why we can rest in his protection. There's no shepherd like the great shepherd. We're going to finish this morning right where we began. What's the one or the two or the three things going on in your life right now that are potentially robbing you of rest? What are those one or two or three things that you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you need the peace and quietness in your soul that only God can give you? And will you surrender those things to the Lord who is your shepherd and is walking with you through that valley? And trust that as you do, he will give you the peace and the quietness no matter the circumstance of your life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me.